This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 65. Episode 65 features Victor Oliveira and Jono Robertson from the S.S. Swenson, the film that they have that is making its world premiere at the Manhattan Film Festival on April 27th at 1 p.m. I found out about uh, this film because they did a screening at the House of Yes. Um, I saw that that was happening while I was still in Amsterdam, um, so I reached out and got them on the podcast. Uh, since I've been back from Amsterdam, there have been a lot of uh, very eventful, not all fun things. Um, my computer uh, stopped working. Uh, some of you might remember uh, we had a massive leak in our apartment um, some months back, and that was right on the computer, but uh, miraculously it kept working, um, but it turns out there is some water damage, so this uh, MacBook Pro is on borrowed time now. Um, and yeah, but you know, you just got to keep keep going. Um, anyway, I had a great time talking with Jono and Victor. Victor's also a bartender in the neighborhood. Uh, he works at Pharaoh. If you haven't been to Pharaoh, check that out. Great food over there. Me and my wife have been a couple of times. Um, and speaking on that, uh, tonight, if you're listening to this on Monday, tonight is my last night at Pine Box Rock Shop. Um, so come hang out. Um, I'll be there with the Many Wolves at least part of the time. Um, love to see you there from 9 p.m. 9 p.m. on at Pine Box. Uh, that's today, April 8th at 9 p.m. Pine Box Rock Shop. Uh, but anyway, I had a great time talking with Jono, um, and Victor and Olive Tree Production is the production company about the SS Swinson and just about art and being creative and, you know, pushing through, uh, whether it be, uh, computers malfunctioning, uh, whether it be financing, um, whether it be just, uh, your own you know, your own doubts and frustrations holding you back. Uh, just keep pushing through whatever it is. Um, so these guys did that with the SS Swenson. Um, check it out, premiering at the world premiere, um, Manhattan Film Festival on April 27th. I'm going to be there. So without further ado, this is Jono Robertson and Victor Oliveira. Let's have a conversation. Um, Olive Tree, Olive Tree Productions. Yeah, an Olive Tree Production. Yeah. yeah. Um, you guys have a movie uh, recently screened, or? Yeah, we recently screened it. It was a private screening at uh, the House of Yes. Um, we uh, were able to just do a little bit of a mini fundraiser uh, for any kind of upcoming um, funds that we would need for entering into film festivals and trying to find producer reps and whatnot uh, for the film. And we actually just got into Manhattan Film Festival. Yeah. So we're, world premiere is happening April 27th at 1 p.m. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Uh, what day of the week is that? It's a Saturday um, at Cinema Village. Cool. Three o'clock? One o'clock. One o'clock. One o'clock. One o'clock. Nice. So that's exciting? Yeah, really exciting. Um, and this film is called... The, Jay, the SS Swenson? Yeah, exactly. Um, and what's this about? What's it about? Um, so 
It's a feature length that um, I guess at the end of the day it's about grief, but it's not like a super heavy drama. It's uh, there's a lot of I guess it's, it's a black comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it follows these uh, three twenty-something degenerates living in Long Island, and they're uh, kind of in like a downward spiral, if you will, in a bad pattern that whether they see it or not, they're having a hard time getting out of. And uh, kind of like, uh, just like street people, like robbing cars, robbing houses. Conning, um, conning people, yeah. busking, trying to just so, make a dollar. So when we get into the movie, that's how it kind of starts. That's where we find them. And then they're robbing a house, and the guy who goes in to check if the house is empty or not ends up accidentally walking into like a nanny interview to take care of this kid and gets the job. So he becomes like a live-in nanny and uh, it becomes about their relationship with this kid. And it's kind of like a coming-of-age story in that way. Um, but what they have in common is that they had recently, their father had passed away and uh, this, this kid has lost his father as well. So it's about them bonding on that. It's about them getting through that together. And uh, I guess one of the most important things we're leaving out here is that there's like nautical themes throughout the whole film. Mm. They have this fantasy that they're a boat crew, like captain, first mate, resident chef, able seaman. And um, the end goal here is that they're going to get a boat and set sail and start a new life. Nice. As this uh, boat crew. But So is that the, the three friends or the family? The, the three friends and this child. Okay. That they're taken care of, yeah. Nice. Um, and what, what were your roles in this film? So I was a producer and director and the yeah, list we, directed is, it together. we directed together. Mm-hmm. Um, but his list of, uh, yeah. jobs are really long. He wore Everything, many hats. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I came out to New York city from Toronto to be an actor, uh, you know, getting out of high school. I feel like nobody comes out of high school drama class being like, oh, I want to be a director or I want to be a screenwriter or a gaffer. You know, everybody's... Your introduction to that is acting, you know? Mm -hmm. But it took me a few years to realize that acting wasn't going to be it for me, you know? So at the time that I'd written the script, I was still interested in acting. So I ended up acting in it because I made the music for the film. So a lot of the songs are actually happening in the scenes. So it became impossible for me not to play this part. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I acted in it, directed it, wrote it, and made the music. But um, yeah, where I'm at now is writing and directing. All right, just an aside because we start like we started talking about it upstairs, and I was like, oh. But this is an aside. You guys have to come, um, and, and you have an open invitation to Shelter Theater Company. You guys will love it just because it's a writer, actor, director heavy thing. Oh yeah. Um, especially if you're some kind of hyphenate. Like, that's what most of the company's made up of. So I think you guys would dig it. But that's... <laughs> going to put that to side the side. Down, yeah. Yeah. Off, off the record. Just because... Um, <laughs> no, but, um, you know, like, I think there are actors who are really... There are some actors who are really... Well, I don't think any actor is just an actor, actually. But um, not every actor is going to end up writing also. Not every actor is going to wear all those different hats sure but however like if people have it and i think people do have more in them than they think a lot of times Mm -hmm. but if an actor does have writing or directing or 
other things in them, man, I always like behoove them to do it because yeah, like acting, there's, there's so much that's not in your control. Um, mm-hmm. um, so what role did you end up playing in the movie? Uh, I played the role of Rick Swenson. Um, the, the guy who stumbles into the nanny job. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Kind of like out of them, I'd say he is the most aware that the way that they're living can't go on forever. Mm-hmm. And is kind of weary of that and wanting to make a change, but uh, is constantly manipulated by his siblings. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. He's the most rational thinking. Just like they're living in a fantasy world. Like the, the log line is... Three degenerates battle the demons of grief in a fantasy world they built around themselves. And I feel like his two siblings completely submit to the fantasy. You know, some people that just live in like delusions. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> No, it's like you know and it's sad, you know, because like for example, like a very simple version would be like, I'm gonna open my own bar one day and you're and you're bartending, right? Like I you know, Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't necessarily. Yeah, I'm Canadian, so I don't necessarily work in this country. But um, you know, <laughs> hypothetically, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, like a lot of bartenders are like, "Oh, I'm going to open my own bar," and like that's like it justifies your present having that future. You know, in the in, in, you know, it's a nice, uh, well-intentioned thing, but it's like, okay, are you saving money? Are you are you learning about all the things that go into the behind the scenes of opening a bar? Like da da da, and it's like. It's really just a fantasy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and these guys are just, they're stuck in that fantasy yeah. and constantly they're getting money, whether it's like robbing people or conning people and they get the, the kid involved in, in that kind of aspect mm-hmm. too. And they're so vulnerable and they end up just recycling that money into drugs and alcohol. Yeah, not going yeah. anywhere. You know, they're not going to buy this boat. Yeah. You know? Nice. Um, so this production company, did this, was this film like was the production company born out of the like the creation of the film or or how how did that happen so my it's my production company and it started when i got out of college it was just essentially a way to represent myself instead of just having like victor mm-hmm. so i kind of just wanted to build a brand essentially um i met jano from mutual friends um we actually met shooting a short film at the McKibben Lofts, which is pretty funny, yeah. uh, back in 2011 or 2010? 2011. Okay. Yeah, so we were shooting. He wasn't even casted for the film. His buddy, who was my friend, was casted f- for the film, and somebody dropped out of the film, and then Jono was so just sitting there, and he was like, I'll do it. And like he was the most committed person out of everyone in the project. Like, he jumped on a train from Times Square and just hopped on a train to LIR, to Long Island, and was the first person at the read-through. And uh, ever since, we've just been working together. And that was, like, kind of, like, our work relationship, and then now we've just been together ever since. I didn't realize we'd known each other that long. Yeah. Like, eight years, seven yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. Time flies, right? Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Um, and so, you then, Vic, um, how did... So how did that, what was kind of your path to the production company and like, did you come from acting or like what? No, I, I graduated. Um, so I wanted to be a cinematographer uh, when I graduated from SUNY Purchase and uh, I slowly started stepping away from that. I was shooting a lot, um, whether it's music videos and um, 
commercials, stuff like that, like indie commercials. Um, and I stepped away from that. And then Jono came up to me like saying that he wanted to do a feature. And I was just like, you know how people talk about they want to write a feature and like the idea of getting, it was, goes back to that whole fantasy of like trying to make that a reality. And like, yeah, the movie was our boat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The movie was our boat for the characters, and it was just it so. Was a while where it wasn't happening. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. It, it went through a roller coaster ride, and um, yeah. So like I, for the product production company itself, like I was literally just like I said, using it for myself to to make a community, uh, which was perfect time to move into Bushwick at 2012 because like everybody was moving in at the same time, and they were all artists. So I just met so many people, made so many connections, and was just able to build those connections especially for this movie too that helped us uh throughout the shooting because we needed so many locations for like no money and it just helped so much for that uh so that was like kind of like the birth of the production company is like just right out of college i actually shot my first as a dp my first short film for victor cruz uh congratulations mr gonzalez he's an actor uh and he was also directing at the time and yeah so that was like my whole progression but now i'm just focusing on uh i edit as well but i just focus on directing now but yeah that's basically it um and so now that that movie's you know starting like the film festival thing uh are you working like pre-production on any new projects or like what's what's kind of what are you guys thinking now <coughs> I, f I feel like it's a. Uh... It's kind of dumb to enter the festival circuit without, you know, another script, something to follow it up with in your back pocket. So just been uh, finishing up a feature length script and then probably hop on another one right after that, you know, just trying to have a few things ready. So, uh, when, if, you know, if opportunity comes, we're ready and it doesn't pass us up. Nice. We both have uh, <clears throat> short films that are, he's, he has a short film in post-production right now that he did with his wife. And I also have two short films that are in the festival circuit right now that we finished over the summer. So we have, we have to, we were like, we're still like worrying our, about our baby, you know, our first feature. So mm -hmm. like we haven't worked on anything yet, but we're hoping that his feature will be the next thing, the next feature. Yeah. To be able to do another feature with a bigger budget. Yeah, Could exactly. Be, you know, we, we shot this for about... We shot it for about twenty grand, probably a little bit more than that. Yeah, but like the with actual shoot itself. Oh yeah. yeah, with like post production and everything. Yeah, post production and everything. It's probably like <laughs> yeah, post production. Post production was a nightmare, man. Yeah, that it was, was a couple of years. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, just as far as, um, because there is a fine line of like, and I think every creative goes through it. As far as you're talking about, like the the bar that I'm gonna open a bar metaphor someday. I'm gonna make a movie someday mm -hmm. um there is a fine line between being delusional and like believing in a having a dream and admitting to yourself you have a dream and then um actually making that a reality mm -hmm. um and yeah to, to be a creative like you have to walk on that razor's edge a little bit um and yeah like dare and risk sounding delusional like to yeah. other people yeah um, and then there's ambition as well yeah um so how did you 
how did like how did you get through that process like and when did it because you talked about for a while like it didn't happen but here we are you know however many years later like sounds like five years at least or seven years i think we we started talking about this in like 2014 yeah Yeah. i mean maybe 2013 yeah uh you were like in the middle of writing then you went to la yeah and then like you met with a uh a a writer to like narrow it down a little bit but yeah because it was originally the script was like what 130 pages it's it's been like it started out it was gonna be a short and then it was like a 200 and something page mess and then (laughs) what what was it when we shot like 120 pages and we got it down to 90 minutes somehow yeah well yeah there was a lot of scene description and whatnot but um yeah, I think the the biggest thing, the craziest thing for us is that like we had we had a lot of conversations where we were just up and down whether we were going to even shoot it. Um, it was August <clears throat> of uh, 2015, and we our lead we had been working with our lead for a few months at this time. It was mm-hmm. written for him. Yeah, it was written for him. Yeah, and he dropped out a month before the shoot date and we were like what the hell are we gonna do (laughs) like and and it's like quite the role man it's like (coughs) it's the older brother who's like the most delusional in the fantasy he's the captain his name's captain swan and he's just like it's like it's like johnny depp and pirates of the caribbean kind of thing it's like it's such like a specific crazy out there role so to ask anybody to come in and play it it's like not really possible you know so we'd like scramble to cast that um i'd say like also just like money you know, yeah. when you're working on a feature length, it's like, it's so much money. You know what I mean? And like getting your hands on it, how do you do that? And then once you have, like, how do you not mess that up? <laughs> you know what I mean? I like, know. I, like, can only, I can only imagine the nightmare that Jono was going through. I was kind of stuck in my bubble as far as like during production. I was, it was my dream to like wake up every day on set, living with people that want to do, create something. It was amazing. I can only imagine for Jono, it was a living nightmare for him because not only he had so much on his shoulders for the money, but he was literally doing the producing every day. So, and acting, like the fact that, and he was so amazing on the film, for him to be able to channel that energy through his character and then still somehow switch it off and then like, okay, now we have to figure out the schedule for tomorrow because like, we we had so many speed bumps, like so many speed bumps, but... I'd rather go through that production any day than the post-production that we went through. It was a nightmare. I mean... We did the sound mix five times, and it takes a couple months to know whether it's even going well or not, (laughs) you know? And uh, we colored it twice, (coughs) like... Yeah, we had a lot of people screw us, um, lost a lot of money. You know, it's just rough. You you think you trust people, and then they just backstab you, and it's just like... It's very... It's very strange. And it's very uh, cutthroat industry, and especially with people that you thought you knew, you know. So it's kind of <laughs> that sounds so. Like, <laughs> it sounds so intense. <laughs> well, it's it's, it's it's messed up because like every like, dollar no. that we had to raise in post. <laughs> these these uh, sound mixers. <laughs> well, no, it was a, it was a it, it was our colorist and sound mixer, yeah. They were going to do both uh, the job two for one. And we, you know, stupidly gave them money up front. 
And we got nothing out of it. Yeah, Literally nothing. We learned, you know. Yeah. yeah, we gave him half up front, and we're going to give him half at the end. But so, now it's like, it's so funny, though, because, like, every other person we dealt with that were, like, true professionals didn't ask for money up front. Yeah. And it's like, we didn't even have to have that conversation, yeah. you know? It was, it was, on, and they were true pros, and they were amazing. So, and now we have that in our back pocket pocket for yeah them, so it's great one of the like most, most important parts of doing this has been like getting people who are kind of out of our league and getting them to believe in the project mm. that's like and so like when you're doing post-production like so much of it is like remote or long distance and it, it's, it's tough you know like to get somebody on the phone and talk for a while and like really explain yourself and get to know them it like it holds them accountable you can like feel whether the relationship's really real or not you know what i mean um, but that's been like one of the biggest things to this project. Cause like, you know, we're going into this being nobody and we're like trying to collaborate with people who aren't, you know? So that's been one of the biggest things. It's just getting in a room with people and having them leave that room excited about your project, you know? Well, man, it sounds super exciting. Um, so, so yeah, so you go through the bumps. What was like the hardest part in the post-production I think it was just because, like, I set up a lot of fundraisers mm. of, like, you know, putting together, like, using those resources. Did you guys do, like, Kickstarter and stuff like that? We did, it, but, like, you know, it was just family and friends donating. So it's just, like, we got to a point where, like, how many times are we going to ask family and friends, you know? <laughs> I also find Kickstarter hard. Um, like, a lot of times, uh, it's almost the, <laughs> it's almost a hassle, like, like, for the return you get, like the amount of work you have to put in to do yeah. a Kickstarter campaign, yeah. and then it's not like all the work you end up having to do after, like <laughs> it's not worth it. No, it's really just. I feel like it's it's really just friends and family, Kickstarter yeah. and uh, Indiegogo and all that. Like I don't think angel investors and people who donate to the arts are sitting on a laptop looking at Kickstarter campaigns. I yeah, think, I think they're at a party. Or a social okay. gathering, and somebody pitches it, and they say, "Yeah, here's ten grand." You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. Unless you know. you're established, like you know, someone like Zach Braff, like if he does a Kickstarter, which he did, and he was able to raise all the money that he did, and that's, you know, if you don't have a name on a project, you're, yeah, if you're, you're literally on your own. Yeah. Or if we'd had like a name actor involved. Yeah, in yeah that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how did you guys? Uh, how did you do the fundraising? I mean. Um. I mean, you know, we worked for a lot of the money. Uh, yeah. We, we, we paid for a lot of this. Um, and um, we did some fundraisers. Victor throws awesome fundraisers. I don't know how he does it. He's like a social butterfly. He knows everybody in Bushwick. Well, I think that was just like the thing that I was trying to uh, establish before about like when I came in and just like using my resources and like getting locations and then getting bands and then getting uh, certain people in the arts like... Uh, my my good friend Michael Breach, he does latte art, and like just to have those kind of like like live artists doing live projects, and then like using that to like auction at the end of the fundraiser, or even just give away mm -hmm. and just pay up front for like a ticket. Like you get to watch all these bands, you get to watch these artists perform. And so yeah, I mean we raised a lot. Of, that was the problem though. Is that it was such a you know, kicking the balls after raising all that money and then losing it to that production yeah. company that screwed us yeah, but in LA. We but still, we still overcame it. it. Yeah. Like whatever. Well, we all, we all, we finished it. And like yeah. we're extremely happy with it. But still, it was like 
It was rough. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, these fundraisers, like, you're getting you're getting a space and you're getting... Like, he would get a, a free space and he would get the beer donated. Like, Braven. Oh, yeah. Donated. Six Point donated. Yeah, that was really cool. Because like, for the House of Yes... Yeah, because um, you're charging for entry and you're charging for drinks, right? Yeah, they yeah. didn't charge us for the space. Um, we just had to pay the doorman and pay the pro, the projectionist and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So it was, like, minimal... And yeah, we've done like, a couple of these. Yeah, and we were able to get free beer from Braven, which was really extremely grateful for that. And Six Point, they always come through, so it's nice. Oh, and like kind of a fluke was that because um, we went into this, we were just like, we're we're gonna get the money. Like we're like we're going into this as a, as if we're gonna have the money, and like we just have to do that, and we're gonna figure it out. Kind of kind of the fluke was that I was getting married to my, now my wife Olga, who actually acted the movie. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were getting married. So when we got married, we, like, to friends and family, we were like, don't give us anything, just donate to this film. And that helped, like, a good chunk of it. Um, I don't think we could have done it without that. Yeah. Um, that was, like, that was half of the budget of uh, for, for, for production. For shooting, yeah. 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 Um, which like, we, like, we shot it in 13 days. Yeah. We scheduled it for 14 days, uh, but we finished a day early. And uh, I'll never forget because the Mets were on the the Mets were in the World Series during that shoot. Sports. So like we were after like wrapping for the day, we were watching the Mets in the World Series, even though they got destroyed by Kansas City. But it was such a, an amazing moment uh, during that you know shooting. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, you don't care about sports, but... <laughs> oh, I remember that. I remember that day you were all in the living room. Yeah. Olga was pissed. I'm not the... Like, uh, I mean, I love playing baseball, <laughs> but, um, like, certain things, like, with, with that one in particular, um, I have a friend, uh, Alex, he's a regular at Pine Box, and, like, he's a big Kansas City. Oh, yeah. So I was just like, fuck, man, Mets have to win. Otherwise, you know, certain friends are like, I want to have to hear about this for, like years yeah yeah are you are you you into sports uh i was more into well i was originally like i'm from seattle so i was more of a basketball seattle sonics fan yeah of course um but my dad had uh when i was a kid season tickets to the seahawks of course they were garbage back then so they were like dirt cheap um and i always liked the seahawks but i was more of a basketball fan and then when i moved from seattle the Sonics ended up getting traded away, mm-hmm. um, stolen away, I should yeah, say, actually, accurately. Um, and then, like, I'm in New York, and then the whole, well, Seahawks went to the Super Bowl um, mm-hmm. once before, but then um, when I was in New York, the whole uh, LOB, Russell Wilson era started, um, the Marshawn Lynch era. And then, like, I became even more of a Seahawks fan because. It's also like when you move away from home, um, sometimes you want the home that, thing grab means that connection. more. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but then with uh, all the garbage stuff that the NFL has been about, like with Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. and like yeah. you know not like the the hypocrisy mm-hmm. surrounding that, um, it's tough because I enjoy watching yes. football, but yeah, I don't. I know. I know. Um, and then also. Yeah, like, I I think sports are interesting, um, and I also think, like, yeah, Pine Box is interesting because that clientele is largely, art, like, an artistic crowd, but then on Sunday, like, you'll see a lot of stand-up comedians, you'll see a lot of, like, kind of artsy nerds um, in their, 
like full sports gear. That's awesome. Um, so it's like, yeah, you could, you can be a sports fan and like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, I grew up a sports fan, so yeah. Um, and what I like about sports and, um, what I didn't get when I was growing up is like, I'm more interested in general, actually like having political or, you know, religious or the debates you're not supposed to have. Like I'm always interested in having those conversations. Um, but like after, you know, bartending in New York for a long time, the thing I like have grown to respect about sports is, um, on the one hand, it is something that like people of all different beliefs and walks of life, it's like a common ground thing that you can have with people and talk about. Yeah. Um, and, but then with everything happening right now, it's hard for me to do that because of how divisive like politics has become um, and how divisive it is. Like, cause I think you should be able to talk about politics the same, like, you know what I mean? Like without hating somebody because they have a different view. Right. Um, we like, we have to bring back debate. Like yeah, it, yeah, yeah um, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, but it's unfortunate. I think there's a switch where once you find out someone has different views, it's automatically just like yell. Yeah. And just like, or, or, just, shut, or just shut down. Yeah. Just shut down. It's one or the other. Uh, it's kind of like, um, <laughs> that whole Chelsea Clinton thing. That was, that was really, uh, very strange where that woman was blaming Chelsea Clinton for the shooting in New Zealand. Oh, I didn't even hear about that. Uh, it was pretty. Part. It was wild. Like, she, and then like Chelsea Clinton apologized. And it was just like it was very strange. She was just yelling at her right to her face in front of cameras, but it was just like. Hmm. But even the people on the left were like, "What? Like this was not right." Yeah. It's like how do you get from, <laughs> New Zealand shooting to Chelsea Clinton? It's yeah. Just like, whatever. I mean, it is what it, people are going to always have their. Your viewpoints, but I think people, I think it's very important, like you said, to open a dialogue and to get on like the same page at least, or at least a smidget of that page, you know? Yeah, like, um, I don't know, like, just <clears throat> can we agree maybe that um, most people want the world to be a better place? Mm-hmm. And then maybe we have different ideas about what that is, but like that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Not to get all political. Yeah, 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 fuck Trump. Yeah. 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 yeah like that's that yes, absolutely. Um Yeah, but that's like the thing. Um You think uh, you have any uh Trump supporters sub- subscribing? Um I don't know, man. Um and I I I think uh like probably that's not my base. Um, but I, but you never know, right? Yeah. I guess and you never know. And it's also like a distinguish between like somebody can be like, fuck Trump. And that doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm not though. Then I can't like some people were like, Oh, I have to cut off half of my family and half of my family, like on my mom's side, like my mom is super liberal. Um, and, but like most of her family and stuff like outside of seattle like in the more rural area Mm. they're like conservative christian Mm -hmm. and that's like trump country and i know 
some of them are like Trump supporters. Um, and I know they like that part of my family like loves me. And so it's an interesting thing for them like to generally go along with some of that stuff um, and then still have me as a family member. And like for me, it's I don't know. It's like stay positive and keep kind of again the dialogue open it's okay to um, keep the two separate yeah um and one of my family members has kind of reached out to me about some of the more heinous things happening um and tried to open up a dialogue about it so i think that's good like yeah, that's a first a step forward yeah yeah um uh what about you guys do you guys uh with like your writing and stuff like that do you guys have any not political goals with it but any <coughs> like uh messages you're trying to like that you come from like with like why you do what you do or how you you know how you want to do things normal well, i guess i mean john john is more of the writer than i am um i haven't stepped into that <clears throat> that channel yet but I'm definitely trying. Uh, there's always definitely messages that we're trying to convey. Um, but I guess, I don't know. That, I mean, that's a question more for you, I would say, just because you write more. But I think at the end of the day, I think what I want out of people watching movies, what I want when I watch a movie is to just feel something, you know? Um, I love movies that can make you laugh, cry, angry, you know, in one sitting. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and I think that's just like my goal as a filmmaker would be to do that, to even just achieve a couple, like even one or two of those things um, would be an accomplishment in, in my own right. Um, but yeah, I think that that's more important to me, I would say. Um, and, you know, because at the end of the day, a lot of people, there are, I mean, I think everybody likes to go to the movies to either just not think and just zone out and just like absorb a fun movie and enter be entertained right and then there are the people that want to be i think i think it's not the people i think it's timing is everything i think you go into movies i mean for myself too i mean i like to just watch uh you know something that is a guilty pleasure and whatnot but overall um to really uh, get tripped up into something is is really nice. Yeah. But like, I guess, do you have any messages that you would want? What about writing? Yeah. Um, you know, like topical, political, whatever things don't really come into it for me. Um, I feel like the stuff that interests me is kind of like you could put it in a time capsule, and it would always just be you know just about humanity. You know, it would always be although you know things come back and become relevant again and whatever. But um, just like relationships between people and, uh, you know, compelling characters and situate, putting people into situations that really test them. And like, you just, you just want to create a story that people are invested in the character and care about the character. And you put, you put that character, you know, through, you know, probably hell. Yeah. And, you know, people actually care, you know. Um, yeah. That's at the end of the day what you're trying to do, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I almost wish I was a more topical writer because it's, like, easier to get things financed and pitch them and whatever, whatever. You're, like, 
Because, you know, when you're trying to create these characters, you know, like all of a sudden you get into a room with somebody <coughs> and you're talking about your script and it's like, oh, yeah, he's a plumber and he's going through a divorce. And it's like, okay, why do I care? You know what I mean? It's exactly. Like, yeah. Well, you just have to read it because it is a good script. You know what I mean? Like, how do you pitch Blue <coughs> Valentine? I love Blue Valentine. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, they're, they're in love and they fight. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's a, it's a good point. But yeah, just about relationships and characters. Yeah. Um, where's the best place for people to follow you guys at if they want to get in touch, if they want to get involved? Like, are you guys, uh, you know, looking to continue? I mean, I'm sure you are, but like, are you actively looking to continue building your community? Of course. Mm -hmm. Always. Yeah. So yeah. So how's the best way for people to, I'm still on MySpace. (laughs) (laughs) um no i mean my instagram is uh at an olive tree production um it's singular not uh plural i'm on facebook as well um we we also have a website for the movie it's the sswensonmovie.com and then an olive tree production.com as well is my uh company website there you go or just come by you know come by our place Jono also has a band as well. Uh, Kindergarten. Kindergarten is the name of the band. They're playing tomorrow night. Oh, nice. Yeah, it is tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow night. Con- playing at Connolly's. We've never, we've never played there. We have no idea what to expect. <laughs> it's like an Irish pub in Times Square. Um, what kind of, yeah, I've, I've been there before, I think. Um, what, uh, what kind of music? Uh, it's indie rock. For me, it was just like stop trying to play uh, crazy complicated stuff on guitar and just write good pop songs. You know, and you said you composed uh, the music for the movie, right? For the film, yeah. Was that with the band or? No, that was interesting, man. It was like, uh, you you know, you you might write a scene and and have nothing in mind musically, and then like in post production, you write something to the edited scene. But like a lot of this was would write the song and then write the scene, and like it was really cool. I could like demo a song. Just put it on repeat, put headphones on, and then write the scene nice. to that. It's like it was really interesting, and that, and then to have that end up end up actually being the music and sit in the theater and watch it was like crazy. That's really cool. It's a pretty cool process, yeah. Um, and so you like you who wears so many hats. Um, when did so yeah? What, how did music? How did that like kind of happen? Was music always? A thing also yeah mu- music was the first thing for mm-hmm. me um yeah just ever since i was a kid um actually took me five years to get through high school because i was too busy somewhere else playing guitar um but uh yeah i I'd, I'd always been in bands and then uh acting brought me out here but i was always in bands out here and you but you know they fall apart yeah singer leaves or you know whatever and then you know it's tough because like you're in a band and you work on songs together and then I was always a guitar player not the singer and then when the singer leaves they're like not your songs anymore you know what I mean and you can't really go on so this project for me was um, kindergarten was that I lead the band and whether people come and go or whatever the project can keep going because I just want like are you the singer too or yeah yeah which like I always sang harmonies Mm -hmm. before but yeah this was my first time doing that which was very scary yeah yeah well congrats on that um and where's the best place i guess to follow the band too uh the instagram is uh at kindergarten.music um 
you know, we're on SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music, all that stuff. Yeah, we actually we actually just put out an EP called Small Pieces that we're pretty proud of. And then um, when did, how did writing, like uh, writing scripts and stuff like that, when did you start doing that? Um, creative writing was always a thing as well, you know, like short stories and what have you. Um, but uh, when I moved out here, I... Uh, I wanted to work on things, but there just wasn't, you know, finding like work is, is not consistent, you know, out here when you're starting out or, you know, for a lot of people. So I would just write scripts and then put them up with like friends who were actors, you know, so I was putting up plays in the city uh, for a while and that's fun. But this thing of like you do a play and then it's gone you know yeah it's tough you know because you can really you can work really hard on something and do something really good and if people didn't come and see it yep it didn't happen yeah you know what i mean and uh that's why i get involved with victor i'm so thankful for because uh he was kind of the door into working on film stuff for me as a youngster yeah uh so you guys you guys see yourself as a team like going forward we're like married yeah <laughs> Yeah, definitely, a hundred percent. Yeah, that's a. I mean, I think that's a great thing. You know what I mean? Like the, like you said, like the building of the community. Um, it's so important, and it's yeah, hard. It, yeah, a hundred percent. It was. It's so interesting because, like, um, it's funny how he says I'm a social butterfly, and uh, you force yourself to be. Right? I do. Yeah. I do. Um, it was tough, you know, because like I'm. I was as a kid. I was always a shy, very shy person. And, you know, I moved in here with my cousin 2012 and I was just like working in Manhattan and I would just come back and I would just force myself to like just be at bars and just meet people. And then it was just slowly just like domino effect just just happened. But like it really, you know, it took some time. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, and that's why I try to push people that I know that are in the arts right now, whether writing or like people that I know. Especially when they're coming from like the Midwest and they're also, you can tell that they're like shy, timid people. It's like, you really just got to put yourself out there. You really do. And it's like, you're not going to, you know, I know you want to just write your script and like in your little closet of an apartment and just like hope that someone will read it. But like, you really just need to just make friends. <laughs> like you never know who you're going to meet. And that's a beautiful, I bartend as well. Um, and that's another reason Oops. why... I was yeah. able to meet so many people um, and gain so many resources from that. So as much as I'm hard on myself that I'm still bartending um, and I try to mentally reverse the way I think about it because I should be grateful that I have a job that is walking distance from my house. I make a good amount of money, a, a decent amount of money. For a bartender. For, yeah. yeah. And I'm... I've gained so much knowledge and resources from that job. It's, you know, I really need to focus on the positives and not the negatives. But you just resent doing a job. It's not. Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, I would love, ideally I would love to just be a filmmaker full time, but it's like, it's just not uh, in the cards at the moment. But you know, like it'll, it'll happen. And like, I think the best thing like that you've done and that you can do is just, just do it. Yeah, like, exactly. You made a film, you know. Um, that film, April twenty seventh, uh, at one p.m. at the Manhattan Film Festival 
is going to be, you know, premiering there. Um, you did that. Um, and then, like, just keep keep doing it. Exactly. Keep doing things. Um, and, you know, more things come. Uh, so, yeah, you kind of you gave some advice that you would give. But um, talk to somebody real quick. Moving to New York. Um, both of you, you know, um, to be an actor, to be a director, writer, whatever it is. Uh, just talk to somebody real quick about, like, any insight you have right now and of course you're going to gain more insight a year from now you know but like right now what would you say to somebody advice yeah um just to i think that you have to find a way to prioritize like working on your stuff all the time and obsessing about it you know and give yourself permission to do that um, cause like I have so many friends, like when things slow down, they'll be like, Oh, I'm just like going to take a few months off or like, you know, what have you. And it's like, it's tough, man. It's, it's easy to get disheartened, you know, when you come out and you're doing these things, but like just to keep at it, even when it's not giving back, just to keep always giving. And it's tough to like give and give and give and nothing comes back, you know, but like, if you know why you're doing it, you know, you just have to keep giving. Cause like, um, the more you give, the more opportunities you're going to have, the more you're going to grow, the further along you're going to be, you know, as, as, as an artist, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and like, not to be afraid to ask for things that you think are out of reach that you think you don't deserve. Um, you know, um, and just to always announce yourself as what you are, you know, be like, I'm an actor, I'm a writer, I'm a whatever, and own that. You know what right. I mean? Just right. like, just don't miss opportunities because you don't know who you're meeting, you don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when people say, um, you know, I've, I've met certain people in different mediums of art and it's just like, it's interesting what people expect, what they need to accomplish to be able to call themselves that. Yeah. And I, I was like... If you th- yeah, if you don't say that you are that, they won't see you as that. Exactly. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like yeah, I, I, I just don't. Un- I n- I've never understood that mentality or where that comes from. It's just like if you believe that you are, you know, an artist in whatever medium it is. It's just yeah. like if you keep pushing at it, it will happen. Like it, especially if you bring positivity, like positive energy around it. I think it's it's very easy to live in the ego and it's like when you live in that state there's a lot of judgment and there's judgment towards yourself and then that's when you can fall into like that spiral of like negativity because it's very easy to focus on the negatives but if you focus on the positives people are going to see that energy around you and people are going to want to be around you and i think that's very important for that social butterfly kind of like pushing you to be that person if you surround yourself with people like-minded people. I knew from day one, the day, I didn't, I barely knew Jono. The day that I was on the phone with him, I was like, hey man, I know I met you randomly the once that, at, at Sean's at, at McKibben's, but like, do you have any interest in playing his role? He had no idea. And he was like in the middle of something. He dropped what he was doing and literally got to my house in Long Island in an hour. And it's just like, all right, well, I, this, I know he's like, he was young at the time. He was driven, but like, that took a lot. For like someone that he didn't even know the project, he didn't know anything. He's just like, yeah, you're friends with Sean, fine. It's funny. It's like it's easier to be driven when you're young like that. It becomes like 
a marriage you need to take care of, like staying ambitious, you know? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's definitely the advice I would give. Cool. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to talk about? Hmm. Hmm. Um, I guess I can do a shout out to uh, my short film, Brooklino. It's uh, premiering in Brooklyn at the Alamo Draft House at the Katra Film Series. That's awesome. Um, so that's exciting. We've been we've uh, been officially selected into five festivals so far. So we're excited. Congratulations! To, yeah, thank you. So we're officially finally showing it in Brooklyn. So I know the people behind that with with me are really excited. So it's pretty awesome. Um, when is that happening? That's April seventeenth. It's a Wednesday night. Um, I think the event starts at 5.30 and we're the second block, which starts at 8.30. Do you know what day of the week that is also? It's a Wednesday night. Okay. Cool. I'm going to try to go to these. Cool, man. Yeah, it's exciting. And anything else you want to say? No. I mean, uh, you know, uh, check out Kindergarten's music, you know. Uh, Working on a short right now called The Big Nobody that we'll be blasting some stuff about in a little bit. Pretty excited about. Um, Yeah, that's, that's really it. Just thank you for having us, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. Like, uh, for me, starting the podcast, the whole point is also, like, building community um, and, you know, connecting communities and stuff like that. Um, But it's great to know you guys are right here based in Bushwick. um, And, yeah, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank Um, you so much. I'm excited to to see what you guys do and, uh, yeah, be involved any way I can in the future. So, thank you. Thank you, appreciate it. Yeah, let's do something. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, that'd be cool. So that was my conversation with Victor Oliveira and John O'Robertson. Um, I had a great time talking with those guys. Uh, if you're in Brooklyn, check out uh, Wednesday, April 17th. Uh, you can see Victor's short, uh, Brooklina, Brooklino, um, at Alamo Draft House, which is a dope spot. Um, and, of course... If you're around, check out the Manhattan Film Festival for the world premiere of the S.S. Swenson on April 27th at 1 p.m. That's at Cinema Village. Um, And if you're listening to this today when it releases, April 8th, Monday, um, and you live in Bushwick, come see me at Pine Box Rock Shop for my last night there. that's the end of an era for me of uh, about eight years. It's crazy. Um, but anyway, thank you very much for listening. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Um, and if you're interested in coming on and having a conversation, let me know. I'd love to talk to you. Um, thank you very much as always. Keep doing your thing and have a good one. Peace. Peace.